The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. When you say that uh, I belong to the church, that sounds a little ominous. (laughs) Like, (laughs) the church owns you. All right, well, way to start. Good morning. Um, I guess you guys own me. That's a fantastic way to start. Good morning. Welcome to Story City Church. We are so glad that you guys are here. We're excited to have you with us this morning, whether you're here in Pickwick Gardens or you're joining us online. It is a pleasure, pleasure to, uh, to be here. Again, my name is Jared Ocelier. I know I can't even pronounce it myself, and I don't work here, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night, so it should be pretty good. Look, each of us has a story that matters. And as we build healthy community, we not only learn how to appreciate each other's stories and how they interact, but how our stories interact in and with Jesus's story. And we call that gospel community. A gospel community is extremely important because ultimately all of us are a part of God's story for the story of Los Angeles. What is God's story? God's story is that he created all that is known and unknown. That he, even though he was king, gave humans responsibility to rule over all creation as his representatives, to model how he lives, how he loves, how he cares for each other, for people, and for creation. But we, as a people, decided that our plans and ways were better than God's, and so we rebelled against him. We thought we knew better than him. That treason earned us a spiritual death sentence. But God loved us so much that he came to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus took our death penalty and died in our place even though we didn't deserve that kind of grace. In Christianese, you know, Christians, we have our own language. If you've been around Christians for a long time, you may have forgotten. For those of you who are checking Christianity out, you're new to this thing, a lot of what we say is really weird. We call that Christianese. We have our own little language. And Christianese, that Jesus dying in our place is called the substitutionary atonement. He took our place and he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death and bringing reconciliation to the Father for all those who apprentice Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we're adopted into God's family, not as former traitors or even as servants. No, we're adopted as beloved sons and daughters of the living God and co-heirs with Jesus. So what do we do now? We just sit back and wait for the end of the world, which feels like it's here in 2020? <laughs> no, we, we don't. We, we live out what Jesus said. We live out the entire Bible by focusing on two important commandments, loving God with all that we are and all that we have, and loving everyone we come in contact with in the way that we're supposed to love ourselves. And this is really what we're learning how to do as a church. Because this kind of love, loving people that way, loving God that way, doesn't come naturally. As was mentioned before, uh, we are about to kick off our Advent series that will lead us into Christmas. But before we go any farther, I want to start by acknowledging that for some of us, the holidays are filled with an absolute joy. My daughter has been singing Christmas songs, I'm pretty sure, since June. (laughs) So I feel like we've been in Christmas for a while. Um, And some of you are like that. You just can't wait to get into this Christmas season. But for other people, this is a truly lonely and difficult time. And I think it's important that we acknowledge both. For me, it's, it's both. This year, this month, 
Uh, my wife and I will celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary. You should clap for her. Yes, that's, that's a good thing to clap for. But this is also the month that I celebrate 23 years of my dad's passing. And so every Christmas it comes uh, with a little bit of incredible joy over, over my wife's and I's last 24 years, but uh, a, a bit of sadness, a bit of, of hurt, a bit of just loss that still comes up every year when I think about my dad. And so I would encourage us to keep this in mind as we interact with others this season. If you're hurting, if you're lonely, if you're quarantined, isolated, we want you to know that we love you, that we're praying for you, that we're with you. We'd encourage you to reach out. You know, one of the things with isolation is that it, 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 it sort of drives us to be more and more alone. We feel like we, we have less and less places that we can reach out to, but it's really important, especially in this season, that we make that effort to reach out. And for the rest of us, it's really important that we listen. It's important that we take time, that we stop. When somebody mentions something that just seems a little off, if somebody just seems to be hurting or they're not themselves, that we take just a moment and just ask, how are you? What's going on? Spend the time. See, as humans, we aren't just spiritual beings. We're spiritual and emotional and physical. This is why it was so important for Jesus to come, not just as God, but also as human, to have real flesh and real sorrow and real joy. You see, Jesus is the embodiment of love given to us. And because he loved us so much, we also get to experience his joy, his peace, and his hope. And we'll definitely be talking about that over the next couple weeks, but it all starts with love. And maybe that's why the two greatest commands God gives us revolve around love. And so this morning, we're going to look a little bit more about that gift of love that God gives us. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans chapter 8? For those of you here new to your Bibles, their uh, Bibles are divided into two parts. If you open it up right to the middle, that's about the Psalms. That's in the Old Testament. And then we have what's called the New Testament, which starts with the Gospels. The New Testament is after Jesus came with human nature. Jesus has always existed. But the Old Testament is Jesus before he had human nature in addition to his God nature. And the New Testament is after he takes on human nature as well. And so we'll be in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. This is what it says. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, some of you guys have been going to church for a long time, and you're like, yeah, 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 I, I get all this. You're not telling me anything new and I get it, but I would challenge us sometimes, those of us who have been in church for a long time, we, we get these things with our head, but we don't actually live them out with our hearts. If we really understand what this means in, in our hearts, it radically changes the way that we live and love and interact with people and with God. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Now, seeing how my daughter is a teenager, she's 18 um, she, in January, she'll be 19. We've been talking a lot about what love is, right? And so we have a song that we listen to every so often, and we laugh about it. It's by a band called Gym Class Heroes, and it's a remake of another song. But I want to share some of the lyrics with you. It goes like this. It's been some time since we last spoke. 
This is going to sound like a bad joke, but mama, I fell in love again. It's safe to say I have a new girlfriend. And I know it sounds so old, but Cupid got me in a chokehold. And I'm afraid I might give in. Towels on the mat, my white flag is waving. I mean, she even cooks me pancakes and Alka-Seltzer when my tummy aches. If that ain't love, then I don't know what love is. It's been a while since we talked last, and I'm trying hard not to talk fast. But Dad, I'm finally thinking I may have found the one type of girl that will make you way proud of your son. And I know you heard the last song about the girls that didn't last long, but I promise this is on a whole new plane. I can tell by the way she says my name. I love it when she calls my phone. She even got her very own ringtone. If that ain't love, then I don't know what love is. I love the tongue-in-cheek lyrics of that song. That's definitely not love. It's not the kind of love that Jesus is talking about when he says that he loves us. It's not the kind of love that we're talking about today. But I would challenge us that so often we, we don't really think about what love is. We sort of get caught up in this, I love you, without thinking about the, the meaning behind that. If you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. Jesus is the ultimate gift of love. Jesus is the ultimate gift of love. Agape is a word that's used for love, but this is God's version of love. Not just any love, but love unconditional, love perfected, love to its fullest extent. This version of love means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Let me say that again. It means to love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. Do you realize what that means for us? That we are loved not for what we do or how good we do things or how much we show affection for God, but we're loved simply because he loves us. That despite the fact that we're still rebellious to God, I mean, any area of our life that we don't trust God with is an area that we're saying we know better than you, that we want control of this instead of you. That's still rebellion. Any area of our life that still isn't subject to God, we're still rebellious. And despite that, God loves us without strings attached. When we truly grasp what a gift this is, it changes the way we see ourselves even. Now, I'm full of hurts, habits, and hangups that need Jesus' healing. And one of the ones I constantly always talk about, you'll hear me talk about it over and over again, is my codependence. I always want people to like me. In fact, I want God to like me. And so I'm always trying to do things to, to, to try and earn favor with people, with God, because I, I feel like I'm not worthy. And so I try to prove myself worthy of God. But when I come to a place where I actually believe that I don't need to prove myself worthy, that, that God loves me for who I am because of him, not because of me, then I can ultimately see and relate to others differently. We have to understand first that God loves us before we can attempt to love ourselves or anyone else. Why? Because any other love really leaves us wanting. It's never enough. It's not completely satisfying. Why? Because it's always conditional. Let me give you an example. What happens when you tell your significant other, I love you, and they don't say anything back? You guys ever experienced this? You're like, I love you. And you're kind of like, hey, hey, at least give me a Han Solo I know, right? I mean, 
something. But oftentimes when we say I love you, we don't even realize that we're actually trying to get something in return. Let me give you another example. It's much harder to love myself when I mess up. Why? Because I'm not meeting my own standards. My love is conditional on my own performance with myself. Now, we do the same thing with our spouses, with our family, with our friends, children. We have expectations. We have conditions, whether we realize it or not, and we hold them to those things, and we, we don't realize that we're, we're saying we love you, but just don't upset me. We love you, but just don't inconvenience me. We, we love you, just don't obey me. This is why marriage and friendships and family can be so hard to navigate. It's only when we learn to love without condition, without the need for that love to identify us that we begin to really understand what true love is. See, true love isn't an emotion or a state of being. True love is a person. It's Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I love how the message version says this. It says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You see, all of the scriptures are a love story between God and us. How we broke his heart with our unfaithfulness and how his love was so great that he pursued us to bring us back into relationship with, us, with him. And that's what all of this is about, Christmas and, and Easter and church. It's the, the culmination of God's plan to destroy sin and death. How he made it right, how he's making it right, and how one day he will make it right forever. Jesus' birth to a virgin, the titles Son of God, Word of God, together with the announcement that Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood are meant to teach us who Jesus really is, fully God and fully man. See, if Jesus were only human, he'd no more be able to save us than one dead man can raise another dead man. But because he's also fully God without sin, he can be the perfect sacrifice to die in our place as atonement for our sins. And this is why he is the ultimate gift of love to us. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for it. We were literally enemies of God when he died for us. That's incredible to me. That we were literally enemies of the living God when he decided that he loved us and would reconcile us back to him through his son, Jesus. And since he loved us before we could do anything to earn it, it means that he loves us to the fullest extent that love is. That means you can't do anything to make him love you more than he already does. You literally can't do anything to make him love you more than he already does, but you also can't do anything to make him love you less because he already loves you to the full extent of his love. That means he doesn't love you like three quarters of the way and then wait for your response. Like, okay, here's, here's my down payment and then you, you show me something and I'll give you the rest. It's not like he, he, he goes, okay, here's three quarters. I'll give you the last quarter when you've been good enough. I see you when you're sleeping. I see you when you're awake. No. He loves us to the full extent that love is fully and completely right now, right 
where you are. Let that sink in for a second. Whether you're new to this Jesus thing and you're just checking it out, whether you've been doing this for a long time, that, that is an overwhelming thought to realize that God knows the true us, that he knows exactly who we are, and that there's nothing that can separate us from that love. There's nothing to push him away. There's nothing that he goes, man, I wish you would stop. Oh, that's it. No more. I'm done. I'm out. He doesn't do that. It's unconditional. See, the truth is, is that God invaded our planet and forever changed it. He took on flesh in a way that is raw and concrete and and shocking and yet physically tangible. And God knew there was no better way to show humans how much he loved us than by, by fully entering our world both physically and emotionally. He took on skin and flesh for us. I read a story that illustrates this point. It goes like this. A four-year-old girl who awoke one night frightened, convinced that in the darkness around her there were all kinds of monsters. Alone, she ran to her parents' bedroom. Her mother calmed her down and taking her by the hand, led her back to her own room where she put on a light and reassured the child with these words, you needn't be afraid. You are not alone here. God is in the room with you. The child replied, I know God is here, but I need someone in the room with skin on. God knows that we needed someone with skin on. If you're taking notes today, this is the second observation. Because God truly loves me, I can truly love myself and others. Because God truly loves me, I can truly love myself and others. I'm a pretty self-reflective guy. I'm more often than not all too aware of my shortcomings. In all honesty, I mean, all of us should, in some, to some extent, be aware of our shortcomings. Um, I mean, we all have hurts, habits, and hangups that keep us from being the people that we want to be. And when we own our own junk and surround ourselves with the type of community that loves us through those things that, that, that help us walk in that journey with us, like community groups or Celebrate Recovery, we can truly see that kind of healing take place because people love us without condition, right? They walk us through those things and they know that, that they can show us and model the love of Jesus to us as we walk through that. The problem comes when we isolate and brood and try to punish ourselves because we believe that we deserve it. Or on the other side, we exalt ourselves by doing things like seeking approval from everyone or spending money and time on ourselves to feel good in order to prove that we're lovable. Now, whichever side that we fall on, whether we're trying to punish ourselves or exalt ourselves, we actually aren't really loving ourselves. We're worshiping ourselves. Wait, what? Anytime that we look to something or someone other than God for our worth, we're setting that thing up in God's place that is called idolatry. We're actually creating idols of ourself or other things in order to get satisfaction, to get worth. That's idolatry. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love ourselves the way that God does. It's the only reason we can be loved. And we need to learn to love others in the same way as well. See, God created mankind, human beings, in his own image. Therefore, every person, regardless of race, possesses an incredible inherent worth and is worthy of full dignity and respect in Christian love. 
including ourselves. So how do we do that without becoming conceited or selfish? Let's look at a portion of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Again, if you're new to your Bible, it's just a couple books past Romans. And just keep going. You'll, you'll find 1 and 2 Corinthians. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard this at 90% of the weddings you've gone to. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, this is how we're supposed to love ourselves and others. The next time that you're in a situation where you're in an argument or you're frustrated with yourself or someone else, insert your name here instead of love. Jared is patient. Jared is kind. Jared does not envy. Jared does not boast, is not proud. Jared does not dishonor others. I'll tell you, every time I do this and I'm in the middle of being frustrated, I'm like, oh, I'm not being that right now. Oh, I'm not acting like that right now. I'll tell you, it's convicting when I'm frustrated with my wife and this comes to mind and I go, am I being patient? Am I being kind? I'm not loving my wife. We need to learn to be patient and kind, not wanting to be or have what others do. We need to keep no records of wrongs. Now, don't be elbowing your spouse right now. I see some of you. Do you remember the meaning of the word agape? right? The word meant to love the undeserving despite disappointment or rejection. It's easy to say, yeah, but, yeah, but I keep doing this and I failed myself. Yeah, but my spouse keeps doing this. Yeah, but my kids are driving me crazy. To love the undeserving despite disappointment and rejection. When we begin to see love like that, we begin to understand how God truly loves us. When we actually begin to love ourselves in that way, in that way, it points us back to God. Not the selfish kind of love, but the unconditional love. It actually makes us see God in a different light. It makes us love him and appreciate him more. And it helps us to love others unconditionally as well. Dictionary.com defines a gift as something given voluntarily without payment in return, as to show favor towards someone, to honor an occasion or make a gesture of assistance. A present is something bestowed or acquired without any particular effort by the recipient or without its being earned. This is exactly what God has done for us. He's shown us what true love is by loving us truly and giving us the gift of Jesus. This is why Jesus became flesh, but also why he cares so much about community. Remember the two greatest commands to love God with everything we are and have and to love others with agape. When we begin to understand love the way that God does, it becomes impossible for us to keep it to ourselves. For those of you taking notes, this is our third and final observation for the day. If we understand all of this, it should really make us think. Here we go. God has given us amazing gifts. How can I share those gifts with others? God has given me an amazing gift. How do I share it? with others. 
Anybody ever get a gift that you uh, really, I don't want to say we're disappointed in, but it, it wasn't what you were expecting? Anybody ever experienced that? You, 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 unrope, you unwrap the gift and, and they're, they're watching for your reaction and you're like, okay, how do I make this look good? Because I'm going to put all my acting skills to the test right now because this is not what I wanted. Anybody else? Just for those of you here in Pickwick, give a show of hand. Okay, a couple of you. All right, good. You're still awake. That's, that's great. I'll never forget mine. Mine was nine years old, uh, and it was for Christmas. I can tell you now, I had, my, my dad's passed away, but my mom and I have had this conversation, so I'm not saying anything surprising. I'm not going to hurt my mom's feelings. We're all good now. But I had my heart set on this skateboard. It was by Dogtown Skateboards. It was an Eric Dressen board. I wanted this thing so bad. And my parents didn't have much money, very little money, as a matter of fact. And so this was a huge ask. I didn't even think I was going to get a skateboard. I just, this, this was like, if it could happen, this is what I want to happen. And so the anticipation is, is, is driving me crazy. I get to Christmas morning and there is clearly a skateboard wrapped under the Christmas tree. And I'm like, oh, it happened. It's here. I can't wait. I'm going to get my Dogtown board. And I unwrap the skateboard and it's a dog cheese, not a dog town complete with a tail slide pad and nose rail. It weighed about 55 pounds. (laughs) Now, again, my parents didn't have much money and what they did was really special for me. And so I I did the best I could to be like, yay, this is so awesome. I can't wait to go skateboard this right now. And I went outside to try and push it. And it took like three pushes to get it to go a foot. But here's What I remember from that moment is, again, we didn't have much money and my parents did everything that they knew. It wasn't their fault. They didn't understand. But they did something special for me. And you know what I understood back then was I knew that even though they didn't get that right, that they loved me. And while I was too young to understand the full implications of that deep down, it really mattered. And some of us think that we have to have our lives together or be good before we come to Jesus. Some of us think that we have to have our lives together or be good before we tell people about what Jesus has done for us or who he is in our life. And the truth is, you don't have to get it right. You don't have to make it perfect. It doesn't have to be a dog town. It can be a dog cheese. But ultimately, what people need to know is that they are loved by Jesus and they are loved by you. If God loves us unconditionally, then we don't have to have it all together. We don't have to be rich to be generous with who we are and what we have. We don't have to be Jesus to love others like Jesus does. It doesn't matter if we aren't the perfect gift because he is the perfect gift. And so this season, let's help others understand the extravagant and unconditional love that God has for them. Let's celebrate as together we're filled with awe and wonder and ultimately joy. Let's watch this joy overrun our fears and doubts and insecurities. Let's watch it crush our hurts and habits and hangups bit by bit as we become more like Jesus a little bit each day. Whether we have everything we could desire or nothing of value in this world, all of us have been given an amazing gift of love by God. So this year, let's give generously and extravagantly of ourselves as we give our time, our talents, our resources, and our presence to the people around us. When we do this without strings, we get to show the love of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are an amazing, incredible, wonderful God. Thank you for your kindness. 
Thank you for your grace. Thank you that it doesn't come with strings attached. Thank you that it's not dependent on who we are or how good we are or whether or not we're even pleasing. Thank you that you are who you are and love us because of you, not because of us. We thank you for that. Help us to be a people who live generously and faithfully. Give you away extravagantly. In your name, amen.